Welcome into Coinhouse Reconnection. I'm Brandon Shanahan solo episode today, but plenty to go over. College football is back. We're back and lots to get into here. Uh, we'll talk about uh, what I learned as a college football fan here, who I think is better than I thought, who is worse than I thought, who is exactly as, as I had predicted here. But unfortunately, first order of business, uh, buffs are back. It is what it is. Colorado's back. And, and I got to say, even as I've been optimistic about Colorado, I, I've been very much on the coach prime hype train. I very much had no doubt that this was going to work. Um, well, I, if there was a sliver of doubt that it would be a disaster, but I was like, if this even works a little bit, it, it's going to work a lot. This sky's the ceiling. Um, with that said, I mean, I didn't even expect this. I mean, a huge 45, 42 win over TCU at home. And now I think the easy thing here to do is to overcorrect. Like, well, TCU stinks. TCU doesn't stink. TCU's fine. They obviously lost a lot of pieces. They, they replaced an offensive coordinator, implementing a new system, implementing, you know, starting Chandler Morris um, to replace Max Duggan. They lose Quentin Johnson. They, they, there's TCU's taking a big step back. That's true but they're still a very good football team. And let's not get mistaken. They're, they're still going to win seven, eight, maybe probably not nine, but that's their ceiling. But that's a good, but that that's a good football team. And not to mention Colorado was the worst football team last year. They were awful. They were so bad. They lost by an average of almost 30 points per game. I, I looking at this roster, because here's the thing about Colorado. They didn't have any good players. Because the problem with Colorado is that they have, they had these tough, um, kind of like what was Stanford seeing now, they, they don't have a good general studies transition plan, so students can't really transfer in as easily as some of these other schools. So teams would lose, so they would lose teams to the uh, players to the transfer portal and not, not be able to rebuild. So then after a couple of years, boom, they're, they're toast. Worst team in college football. Coach Prime comes in. He's like, I'm not coming here if I can't get players in through the transfer portal. They update those rules. They give Coach Prime the richest contract in Colorado football history. And then voila, just a few months later, this is what it is. And I think this caught just about everybody off guard, except Rico. Except Rico on TikTok. Rico knows. I'm a believer now, and Rico knows. Rico knows everything. I, I will let Rico pick out my, my outfits for the week. And that's how much he knows. And he's been saying this for, for the whole offseason. If you look at the transfer portal and who they got, this is a much better football team. Is it a national championship contending team? No. Is this a team that's going to push USC, Utah, Washington for a Pac-12 championship? No. But this is a good football team. And he's not the only one who said it. Urban Meyer, who's at practice, said it. Uh, Michael Irvin, who I, is a bit over the top, admittedly, but he saw them. There's not a single person who actually saw this football team and went to Boulder and spent time with Coach Prime who had anything other than this is a good football team. Not this is a better football team. Not that this is a you know work in progress or that we believe in Coach Prime and his rebuild, blah, blah, blah. This is a good football team. And we saw that on display Saturday. Sure, Sanders looks – Sure, Sanders and Travis Hunter had mile-high expectations. I mean, I, I saw people putting them on Heisman lists. I saw them, you know, make an All-American list for, for Travis Hunter. And the, 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 the bar was set to the moon, and they, over, they eclipsed it. They overdid it. 500 yards on the road against TCU. 
I mean, nearly a, a perfect game. Outstanding stuff from Shooter Sanders. And Travis Hunter was the best offensive player when he was on the field. He was the best defensive player when he was on the field. Thank God for TCU. They didn't make him play special teams. He would have been the best player on special teams too. I mean, so the top-end talent is bonkers. But then, and as Rico pointed out in his TikTok series, every part of this team is better than it was last year. They rebuilt the offensive line. They had two two of the starters from Kent State, and that's huge because you get that continuity with those guys right away. And then you rebuild the defensive line with four or five-star former recruits who either age didn't pan out or uh, some other players who were at smaller schools who – kind of grew out of out of there and bought into coach prime and that's the the difference here is that we've seen talented teams be put together before we we we've watched texas football before but the way that these guys bought it and the way that coach prime has told us from the very beginning there was not a single moment where he was like you know this is going to take some time or you know what we we have some goals winning isn't everything we can take steps to improve and then focus on on winning when the time comes. Now, he was right. He told us this whole time, I'm coming here and I'm going to win. And I'm going to win right away. And granted, his formula is, is a new one that we haven't gotten to see in action too much of, but he nailed it. I mean, my goodness. Because Shadur Sanders, obviously, he's talented, five-star quarterback, heavily re- recruited to some big blue bloods, Georgia, Alabama, Ohio state, all included in that list. So we know he's talented, but the poise and the discipline of this whole team, as far as making, taking the right play TCU, especially at the beginning, didn't give them a whole lot. Like it was a lot of like short passes, good runs from, from that talented running back room, that offensive line that looks like a, a whole different, like they're playing a whole different sport than the offensive line from last year. And just that the diligence in business-like fashion, they took care of TCU was outstandingly impressive. I mean, and I had high hope. And like I said, I had high hopes for coach prime. I'm not a coach prime hater, but I, I was like, I've never seen anything like this before. And for Colorado, and I, I think what, what I've been saying over the offseason is Coach Sanders could surprise us all, but if, but he would have to do something nobody's ever seen before to turn this team around as quickly as possible. I was giving him a ton of grace. I was like, hey, this is the worst team in college football last year. There's a possibility you win two games this year, and that's a huge success. You win three games. You win four games. That is a huge success. And that still wasn't bold enough because he did exactly – what nobody's ever seen before and tra- flipping this team around. This is a good football team and I'm, I'm juiced. I mean, I'm low. I'm a Colorado fan deep down and it's, it is exciting. And you know, I, I don't like to give a whole lot of credit to like uh, the big college football media, but Fox has been telling us this, this all, all year. They bet on coach prime with their, their, their big noon schedule back to back weeks with coach prime without even seeing him play it down. And that's not even to mention just the, the sheer buzz and the sheer excitement with this Colorado football team. Sky's the limit. Um, I will say while I'm on a Coach Prime tangent, that there's also this narrative that, well, great, he's going to turn Colorado around, Colorado around. 
he's going to win games. And then he's just going to get poached by a bigger school for a bigger payday for bigger blah, blah. I, I don't think that's true. I think if you look at the ever-changing landscape of college football, and we don't know what, what, what the next iteration of the, of the playoff is, so I, I, I'm only speaking in assumptions here, but I would imagine if it's not expanded, it's definitely still 12 teams. So they're not going to reduce the teams. I think that they like the idea of automatic qualifiers in some regard. So it's tough to imagine the Big 12 champion being left out of this expanded playoff. And with that said, when unless they expand it to like 16 or 24 teams or, or whatever, the Big Ten Conference is only going to get three, four on an absolutely bonkers year. Five teams. Five teams is crazy. They're not getting no, – no conference is getting five teams in, in a 12 or 16-team playoff. But – so then you think and, – and Coach Prime can do whatever he wants I, at this point. I'm not convinced that he can't do exactly what I'm going to say he probably won't do. But when you look at it, like Florida, for example, there, Billy Napier's in trouble. Let's say that job comes available here after next season. And Coach Prime does keeps this trend going alive. They, they, they win a bunch of games this year. They push, if not win, a Big 12 championship next year. Florida's going to be knocking. And Florida's going to have a big paycheck waiting for him. And he's going to be in a recruiting hotbed that in a state where they love Coach Prime. Why wouldn't he take that? I'll tell you why. Because, like I just pointed out, they're going to have to be at least the fourth best team in the SEC. And again, Coach Prime can do whatever he wants at this point. So he, if he, if he commits to this, it'll work. But you, you look at the path to success. Well, now you got to be the fourth best team in the conference with Alabama, with Georgia with LSU pending. We'll see how they work out. And then probably at some point down the road, Clemson and Florida State are going to be joining the SEC. So so what's going to be the easier path to national prominence, being the fourth best team in that conference or being the best team in the Big 12 conference year in and year out? Like would, it's, that common, it's that common bit where it's like, would you rather be a big fish in a small pond or a small fish in a big pond? And... By that time, Colorado will be a, a a good power in college football. They'll be, I mean, they 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 probably might make the playoff next year. The sky is the limit for Coach Prime at Colorado. And again, and and with his 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 philosophy and the success that he's already brought to Colorado, he he could absolutely go go to Florida and do the same thing he did to Col- with Colorado, except probably even on a bigger scale. Because now we have two years of, well, I proved it. I proved that I can do this. I can prove that I can do this. And he might and he might think that that's a, a bigger legacy. And that's what legacy is going to be what it comes down to is where does he have the opportunity to build the biggest legacy? And because, of course, money is going to be bigger in, in, in other conferences than Colorado can can conjure. But I think the best chance for him to build a legacy is at Colorado. He's got money, you know, and if money was everything, he could be making a whole lot more money doing a whole lot of things that require less of his time. I mean, he's coach prime. He's outstanding. But I'm not sure 
that there's anywhere, anywhere else in the Big Ten or the SEC where he'd be better building his legacy, taking over the worst team in college football and building them into a national power. I mean, as Coach uh, McIntyre used to put it, if you get these cool kids to Boulder, I mean, I know Colorado's not a recruiting hotbed like Florida or like a Southern California or a team in Texas. But you can recruit the hell out of kids by bringing them to Boulder. So I think Coach Prime is is a stud. I think this, the, the limit, there is no limit on what Colorado can achieve with, with, with Coach Prime. And I guess if he really thinks that he can build a bigger, better legacy at, at Florida or a school like that, maybe. I think he's got just as good of an opportunity to build whatever legacy he wants and to accomplish anything that he 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 can dream of as a coach at Colorado. So I think they're going to be around for a long time. It also brings me to my next point as a disgruntled Nebraska fan. I don't want to hear anything about a three-year rebuild. I came into the season with so much patience for, for Matt Rule. And let, let, let me be clear. I... There's no use in, in firing anybody after one year or even after two years. We made our bed with that rule. That's going to be what plays out. And because you, you, you didn't, I was told that you don't hire Matt Rule to turn things around in one offseason. But I just saw Coach Prime take the worst team in college football and turn them into a really good football team. We'll see what, what their ceiling ends up being, but. What I saw on Saturday, that's not a, that's not a, they're playing a different sport than Colorado played last year. And so I don't think that there's any, any, uh, I, I don't want to say leash because Matt Rule could win two games this year and, it, and nothing would matter. Uh, it would be such a bad choice to fire him after one year, regardless of what he does. But good coaches win early. Good coaches, and now when, when I talk about short-term rebuilds for Nebraska, I'm not talking like 10 wins this year, 10 wins next year even, competing for Big Ten championships. That's not that's not where this program's at. But you got to raise the floor quickly. Good coaches raise the floor quickly. And yes, at Temple and at Baylor, his first year was very bad. Nebraska's in way better shape than at Temple and Baylor, and he knows he's got two rebuilds under his belt now. Temple, he was doing it for the first time. Baylor was a unique situation. I'm sure there's things that he would do differently that he's going to do now. But the, the floor has to be raised immediately. And that's, I, I think, something that we never really put on Scott Frost because we get that he was rebuilding. But then you give him two years, he couldn't figure it out. That third year was funky. It was... That three and nine season where they lose all nine of their games within 10 points. So you see the flashes, and then as soon as he doesn't win in year four, then it's like, okay, well, it's toast. I mean, and 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 constantly firing coaches is not gonna work for Nebraska because we're one bad coaching hire away from being a stepping stone job. Make no mistake about it. Like we're that close away from being a place where a coach comes in. Wins a wins some games here, wins seven, eight games, 
and then a bigger school sees the potential and then he goes and builds his legacy at a place where he could win a national championship. That's that's the future here for key firing coaches. So I'm not saying fire Matt Rule by any means. It's been one game. But I am saying the expectations have changed after seeing Colorado and seeing how quickly that can go from the worst team in college football, which Nebraska wasn't and not all that close to being the worst team in college football, to being a really good football team. And it's not like Nebraska was allergic to the transfer portal. It's not like they, they didn't spend a lot of time and bring in a lot of players from the transfer portal who are going to contribute uh, this year. But if that's the difference, I mean, that's got to be where so much of, of your program's energy is going into um, is just getting players. You know, it's not always about the X's and O's. It's about the Jimmy's and Joe's. And Colorado has Jimmy's and Joe's up the wazoo. This team is talented. They're disciplined. They're focused. They're outstanding. I'm I'm so excited to see what what this year entails. I hope. Well, all right. Well, and we'll talk more about the Nebraska Colorado matchup here later this week. But man, what a what a week at college football. And I gotta say, I I, I learned a lot. There's a lot of takes that I wish I could take back, a lot of takes that I wish I could double down on. So we'll kind of talk into to how that works out here. So here's my better, worse, same outlook on teams here. So better, Colorado is absolutely better than I thought. Like I said, um, I was very optimistic about Colorado, and I was optimistic that you know Nebraska or that Colorado would, would turn things around pretty quickly, quicker than almost any other program I've seen outside of what Urban Meyer can do. But they still exceeded those expectations. So outstanding stuff. Penn State I also thought was better than I expected. Now, you, you know that run game is going to be ferocious. You know that's going to be – the more that I learned about Penn State, the more I think that they could be at the very top end of like that second tier in college football. Because you have Georgia and Michigan kind of almost in their own tier as far as – a mixture of what we saw last year and, and what they bring to the table this year. Those are the two favorites to win the national championship. That And then you have that second tier of like Ohio State, Alabama. I think Penn State's right up there. They have a top 10 defense. Their offensive line's outstanding. They have a dynamic duo of running backs that are absolutely talented. They take a step back in the wide receiver room, but what, what's really put Penn State on this list for me is – Drew Allard was fantastic against West Virginia. He stepped in like he was born to be the Penn State starting quarterback. I'm so impressed by him as you know his first start in college football. I think he played a little bit last year behind Sean Clifford. I think this was his first start. I mean, couldn't have impressed me any better. And that's what I was waiting to see. That's what I was waiting to see from Penn State to be like, well, are they in the same tier as like Ohio State? Yeah, they are. They are because now they have a electric quarterback, a great run game, and a great defense. What else What else do you need? Up next, North Carolina, Drake May was as advertised. Dude was awesome. And in my preseason um, predictions here, I really only had North Carolina losing to South Carolina because they have two, t- two tricky games on their schedule. So they have South Carolina week one and then Clemson towards the end of the season. There's no reason why this North Carolina team can't be undefeated going into that Clemson game. And how I had it shaping up is I have them beating Clemson and then probably, and then they play them again in the ACC title game a few weeks later. But I mean, even that was, was I was saying the running game against South Carolina was awesome. 
Um, but we'll talk about SEC defenses here. So if you're peeking ahead, seeing SEC defenses on the same tier, yeah, that's why. The Denver Broncos also made this list, oddly enough. Um, like we talked about Coach Prime, if you're a good coach and you know what you're doing, the ceiling of the or the floor of the team gets elevated almost immediately. Uh, the Broncos were dysfunctional last year. This is an NFL podcast. I won't dive too much into that. But now they have Sean Payton. Um, I think the Broncos are way better off. I think the Broncos are way better than I thought. Worse than I thought, Jeff Sims. He stunk. I mean, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. He stunk. He stunk. He was bad. Um, and here, and, and, and let me give you some backstory. I never, I think blaming the quarterback and like wanting to bench the quarterback it, it is one of the lazier sports takes that you can have. That you're constantly calling to fire the coach, you're constantly blaming the refs. Those are lazy sports takes. With that said, I was all in on Adrian Martinez his entire time at Nebraska. I was super excited for him when he got to Kansas State. So I rode with him through through thick and thin. And more than anything, these these coaches know who's the best quarterback. They see them every day. I don't. I you know as much as I can study them and watch them and and you, you know I I don't ever advocate for a quarterback getting benched. If the if the coach thinks that they're the best quarterback. Everybody knows that's the most important position on the field. The coaches know that. If they think that their starting quarterback's the their best option, then I believe that 100% that is their best option. With that said, Jeff Sims stunk. Um, it stinks that he is our best quarterback. It stinks that Casey Thompson went to Florida Atlantic and tore it up over week one. Um, Jeff Sims stunk. I, and I, I was told that he had a great running game. Yeah, he had almost 100 yards. That's fantastic. Also, uh, then great. Then just don't let him throw the football and let him run all the time. I if that's if that's if that's why he's out there, don't let him throw the football. Through an interception on the inside the five yard line, he threw an interception on a potential game winning drive when they were moving the football, and the game was tied. So we didn't even have to score a touchdown. He didn't even have to get them in field goal range. If you don't move the ball one inch, all right, cool. Just don't turn it over. And then we go into overtime. We settle it then. Evidently, we have a good foot field goal kicker now. Interest in uh, Alvano. Fantastic. Let him win it. Uh, but no, he, he, and not a single one of those interceptions I felt like was like, oh, well, the, okay, well, the corner just made a great break on the ball. They read the play. They, they did this great. They did that great. It wasn't like lucky. It wasn't like it got bad at the line of scrimmage. He threw it right to the Minnesota players. So that is, that, that, that's something that's not going to change. I think, uh, so he stinks. Um, I'm bummed, but uh, yeah, he's way worse than I thought. I was super excited about him going in. Um, he stinks. LSU, of this one's pretty self-explanatory. Um, uh, Notre Dame's two and zero. They've outscored their opponents ninety six to six through two weeks. LSU's zero and one for back to back seasons. Um, after getting blown out last night, um, they may know. And I think that what's so damning about this is that so much of, of where that game got away was after halftime, which tells me that adjustments were made by Florida State and now no adjustments were made by LSU. And I thought LSU was going to be the best team in the SEC West. So for them to get blown out by Jordan Travis and, and Florida State, now granted, Florida State's the real deal. Make no mistake about it. But uh, LSU needed to put up a better performance than that in the second half. Big 12 is worse than I thought. That's heartbreaking to say. 
when I was doing my big 12 predictions, I didn't feel great about them. But because I, I, I didn't have a good grasp of the new four schools coming in, how they would transition from group of five and independent ball to power five conference football. Um, and then at the top end of the conference, I hear so much about Texas and Oklahoma and what they can do. But they, were, they, they weren't that good last year. I saw Quinn Ewers not throw for more than 200 yards the last four Big 12 games he played in. He's not very good. So what really is the ceiling with those? So I thought those six teams would be the reason why I didn't have a good gauge on on, on the Big 12. Turns out it's the hateful eight that I, I guess I don't have a good read on. It's Baylor and Texas Tech, who I thought Texas Tech was going to be a sleeper Big 12 team. They maybe not so much. Baylor, I, I I thought at least they would be a step up and be able to take care of business against Texas State. Now, Texas State, no slouch. They picked up a lot of talents in the transfer portal. Rico told us about that, too. Um, so the Big 12, I mean, as a whole, it, it, it feels like a lot of time they went 10-4 and four over the weekend. And shout out Iowa State. Um, I, yeah, they're, they're not, obviously there were some Big 12 teams who were really impressive. Um, but uh, Iowa State, I think, surprised the most people because they played in-state rival UNI, Northern Iowa, and that game's usually a pretty, pretty close affair. Maybe Iowa State makes it ugly by pulling away late, but they were in control this whole time, beat up on uh, on Northern Iowa, as you would expect a, a competent Power Five team to do against a school like Northern Iowa. So they took care of business. So this does not exclude include them. Ohio State's worse than I thought, um, and, and and that's due with talent they have on the field, but but they don't seem locked in. You know, I remember early in Ryan Day's tenure and during Urban Myers, they didn't take games off. They didn't like go through the motions. Like if they they knew that they didn't need to bring a hundred percent to beat Indiana. And that's true. That's very true. They did not, and it was still not very competitive. But it's going to be so hard when Penn State comes around, when better Big Ten teams are in front of you, to suddenly turn that up to 100. Um, they're, they're so talented that it might not matter. It truly might not matter. But... I was not impressed. I was not impressed with Marvin Harrison Jr. Um, getting two catches. You can't tell me that Indiana has the solution for Marvin Harrison Jr. That tells me that maybe he wasn't giving it 100%. And he's going to be a top five pick regardless. So it makes sense for him to not get after it in, in a way that we've seen Ohio State run, uh, wide receivers before. But, I mean, they're still in that second tier of college football teams. So I think, you know, they, they could very well turn it on and be just the same. But they looked a lot worse than I thought that they would. Especially with the new quarterback, I figured you'd want to put your foot on the gas pedal, really try some things out with him, get him some reps, throwing the ball down the field, get him connected with, with his talented wide receiver core. And just didn't feel like they, that they attacked the game that way. They, they attacked the game like just trying to pick up a win and move it on. Which I guess is fine. They got the talent to get away with it, but now these are um, teams that I feel like I, I got pretty right coming into the season. Florida, I had them going four and eight. 
not because I, I think that they're very bad, but the, the way that the SEC schedule is built, you typically get three or four cupcakes in there. So you get three or four wins caked in. Let's say you win all four, then you just have to win two conference games. Then you sneak into a bowl game. Earned or not, you get six wins. Florida, on the other hand, and kudos to them for, for, for doing this. They certainly don't have to, but they, they put this home and home with Utah. That's a tough one. Even though Utah was playing out a quarterback competition in front of our eyes, um, they still took care of business. And then they play Florida State later on this season. Um, so those are two two games that I felt comfortable comfortable giving them a loss. So then they, they win their next two conference games, and then you got to win four SEC games. That's tough. They only get three SEC games in the swamp. That's tough. So it's, it's really uphill for Florida. Um, I think they're going to be better than their record is, but the record's not going to be pretty. Up next, Iowa. Yeah, their offense still stinks. I was watching the Colorado TCU game, and I was not going to take my eyes off of that game to watch Utah and Iowa, not even for a second. But my timeline was blowing up right as that game started because they scored within 30 seconds on a long touchdown pass. Oh, maybe something's different here. Maybe they got something. Maybe Cade McNamara really is the savior that the Hawkeyes have needed for the entire Kirk Ferentz era. It was a blown coverage. There's nobody within 15 yards. That's not that's not a hard play to make. I feel like Spencer Petras could have made that play. I feel like whoever their backup quarterback is could have made that play. I feel like you could have swapped the positions. Cade McNamara could have go run the route. And the wide receiver could have thrown the football, and that still would have worked. He was that wide open. It is what it is. Iowa still stinks. Still couldn't get to 25 points, which, you know, it is what it is. Um, they're still probably going to contend for the Big Ten West, but I think it says more about the Big Ten West than it does Iowa. I told you the Pac-12 was going to be good. 14-0 and was fantastic. They were outstanding. I think even in my Pac-12 predictions, I didn't have Colorado beating TCU, but throw them in the mix. Sure, Sanders might be the second-best quarterback in that conference. If not, he's up there. He's fantastic. Travis Hunter might be the best player in America uh, uh, what he can do quarterback up and down that list with Caleb Williams and Bo Nix and Michael Penix Jr. Sudur Sanders and DJ Okalele. Uh, I'm so sorry I botched his name but I, I have our time with a D- DJ from Oregon State who else is in that conference Cam Rising when he comes back he's as experienced as they get in that conference Outstanding stuff, up and down. So the Pac-12 is awesome. I told you that. I was right. And the last one that I've was, i I've been right about, and I've always kind of considered the SEC a little bit overrated. Now, they win all the championships, so how can that be true? But I, I think I figured it out. SEC defenses aren't that good. They just feast on a conference that typically doesn't have great quarterback play throughout typically doesn't have deep quarterback play throughout. And then they also are beneficiary to having a fourth non-conference game more times than not that quarterback stinks too. And I mean, I had that thought kind of going into the LSU Florida state game. Cause I think LSU is really good. They got a really good defense and they got torched by Jordan Travis, 342 yards, 23 of 31, four touchdowns, a weird interception, 
that was more uh, an unforced error than anything else. They couldn't stop Keon Coleman, who had three touchdowns and 122 yards. They didn't need to run the football, but Trey Benson was was, was pretty efficient. Uh, and and I and the, the the combat to that is well, that's just one game. That's LSU. That's not even our best team. Georgia would never let that happen. Georgia would never let that happen. Yeah, two games ago, I saw Georgia get toasted by C.J. Stroud in Ohio State. C.J. Stroud had even better stats than Jordan Travis did against um, against LSU. And he also lost his top wide receiver in that game, Mar- Marvin Harrison Jr. He got hurt. He had he went 23 for 34, 348 yards and four touchdowns, no interceptions. That's that that's the SEC defense that everybody talks about, or is it just because you guys get to play Vanderbilt, NC, NC A and M, and two other bottom dwellers? And then when you get into conference play, you have quarterbacks like Will Levis and Anthony Anders, Anthony Richardson, who aren't actually that good. Like with these same defenses, if you took the Big 12 and you took the SEC defenses and just swapped them one for one. If you did that, take the Pac-12 defense and the SEC defense and just swap them one for one. Do the scores change that much? Do the yards change that much? Do the stats change that much? Or does the Big 12 just have a half a decade with Lincoln Riley producing Heisman winning quarterbacks left and right with Patrick Mahomes and Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray, and now Jalen Daniels, and Will Howard. Does the Pac-12 just have Caleb Williams and Cam Rising and Shadur Sanders, and that's why their defenses look so bad? I think I'm right here. I think the SEC benefits from having that extra non-conference game, and I think they benefit from having pretty mediocre, pretty mediocre quarterback play because I'll tell you what, none of those SEC defenses could stop Bryce Young. None of those great Alabama defenses could stop Sean Watson. Trevor Lawrence tore him up. Joe Burrow tore him, tore him up. So that's what I got there. So that's where I thought I was wrong. That's where I thought I was right. Um, big one, I think, that ever Broncos, they're going to be fantastic this year. But that's it. Outstanding week. We got Duke and North or Duke and Clemson tonight. That ought to be good. Don't sleep on Duke. They're a gritty team. They're experienced. They're going to get after it. But that's all I have for today. We'll get back after it this week. Also on the channel coming up, uh, I'm putting together condensed Power 5 previews um, where I'm cutting out where I pick every single game for every single week. So it starts off with my summary of each team and then where I, I think that the conferences are. Uh, Standing-wise at, at the end, and then I also will have a, a, a postseason preview show where I take those predictions and then play out the, the, the playoff from there. But I'll do it from here. Here we got uh, big, Go Big 12 or Go Home tomorrow. Bookie Brook returns here later this week. Unfortunately, uh, Tyler and I did really bad. Unfortunately, Brook did really good, so we'll hear from him quite a bit here on Thursday. And then we're getting back after it. Big Red. Big Ralphie getting back on the same field. It's great to see. I can't wait. Go Big Red.